Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Um, there's been a lot of chatter on the Twitter this week at the Griefcast um, because I hate to be the one to remind you if you are doing your best to avoid it, but this Sunday is Father's Day. So I, like many of you, I'm trying to do my best to avoid it, but those marketing emails, and I will hold my hands up fully and say it is not as bad as Mother's Day. I think that is a really difficult one to avoid, but they are catching up, the old Father's Day emails. Um, So I was wondering if we could do what we did for Mother's Day, uh, which is just, you know, have a hashtag on the Twitter that if you are feeling really crappy or it's just bought up loads of stuff for you. And last time the hashtag I invented also was the same hashtag as like kind of video game and it got a bit confusing so I thought why not just do the hashtag you are not alone um, if you are stuck on Sunday and feeling really rubbish uh, just use the hashtag you are not alone or hashtag griefcast or at the griefcast and I'll do my best to retweet the ones that I see and if you do see ones that people haven't replied to and you are feeling the same please do reply and reach out the Twitter bizarrely for Twitter is actually a really nice corner of Twitter uh, where everyone is very helpful so if you do have any questions or worries or queries or things I'm always happy to retweet stuff and see if we can find you a helpful solution and I hope that Sunday passes as well as it can do I will be sort of avoiding it as well so we'll all be thinking of each other this week I'm talking to writer and broadcaster Sally Hughes Sally is a regular columnist for The Guardian Weekend, where she has her own beauty column. She's the author of Pretty Honest and has just released her new book called Our Rainbow Queen. She also has her own YouTube series and is a regular on BBC Radio 4 Women's Hour. Sally came in to talk to me about her father, who died just after her son was born, one of her closest friends, Carrie Lander, from the band Camera Obscura, who died of sarcoma, and her mother, who also died of cancer. And I just want to let you know that Sally and her mother were estranged for a long time and we talk about grieving and death when you haven't been in touch with the family member in case that is a difficult topic for anyone listening. Thank you. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with writer and broadcaster Sally Hughes. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm very excited, Sally, to have you. Well, I'm excited to be here in this tiny little hole. I know, tiny little hole. Um, 
your spelling of Sally, mm-hmm. I just is the Welsh spelling. It is. Are you from Wales originally? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm from Wales originally. Yeah, born and bred. Oh, so we have like the opposite. Well, as in my name is extremely Welsh, uh-huh. but grew up in London, and I disappoint uh-huh. Welsh people quite a lot. They get back because obviously you must know you're obviously used to the word carryad. Then I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, completely. So your name poses absolutely no problem to me <laughs> whatsoever. Um, I don't think it's remotely weird, but my name throws people all the time. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say because people don't realise it's well, they must not think it's the Welsh spelling. I think people assume it's immediate affectation. <laughs> Just really a little like, annoying. Hot over the eye, or especially something. since Sally S A L I is an older name than Sally S A W L Y. Is it? And so people think I've adapted proper Sally as oh. they see it, but in fact, my name is much older. What does it mean in Welsh? Uh, so it appears in the Mabinogion. Oh, love the Mabinogion straight to my heart. Sally. Yeah, amazing. So Sally appears in the Mabinogion, and it is a diminutive of. Sarah and Sean and names like that. Oh, wow. Kind of, yeah. If you don't know the Mabinogion, guys, it's pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite mental, the Mabinogion. Yeah, it it's is. quite trippy. It's a bit Game of Thrones, isn't it? It is very Game of Thrones, actually. Yeah, it's sort of like yeah. ancient Welsh text that a lot of the King Arthur legends come from. And it's sort of like Tales from the Court, basically, isn't it? It's... Yeah, it's quite bonkers and fantastical. Yeah, so so my mother read the Mabinogion while she was pregnant oh, wow. with me and and chose it. Amazing. Yeah. I think it's a lovely name. Thanks. Where does the other Sally come from then? Do you know? Um, it's English Sally yeah, from English Sarah. Sally. It's a diminutive oh, of Sarah. I see, but your one is older. Yeah. It's, I think Welshness is still quite confusing for some people, which yeah. I find really bizarre as somebody who's half Welsh with an extremely Welsh name. And I was saying this the other day on another show, like I was in um, LA and someone genuinely didn't know. Like, they just couldn't even understand what I was saying because I was saying, oh, it's a Welsh name. That's why it's confusing for you. And they were like, where's Wales? And I was like... Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? And and quite often they'll say to me, even if they do know what Wales is in America, they'll say, do you know Tom Jones? As though they <laughs> might know Madonna or something. Um, the worst I had recently, I said, oh, you know, like, you know, it, Anthony Hopkins and someone went, yeah. he's Welsh. And I was like, wow. oh, I was he's like, so Welsh. Yes. I was like, excuse me. And Michael me. Sheen. Yeah. He's so Welsh. That's the, kind, that's the ones I go for. Uh, Michael Sheen, Andy Hopkins, Richard Burton. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I feel like... Charlotte some... Church, they often know oh, in America. Yeah, do they? Mm. Because she was a child sensation. Of course, I completely forgot that. Yeah. In my head, she's still, when she came back with that, like, slightly uh, poppy version. I forget yeah. that she did the classical stuff. Um, was it uh, Crazy... Yes. Crazy Chick. Yes. Yeah. It, was it was a banging record, It was a good record, track. Actually. It was a really good I track. I love Charlotte Church. I think she's such yeah. a force for good. I, I went know. to see her late night pop dungeon. Uh, show last year and it oh, was wow. brilliant it's the most fun you can have she basically plays pop classics um, in, in sort of dungeony venues with a full band <gasps> and they wear kind of mad feather bows and fur coats and wigs and stuff it's just so much fun I honestly honestly not ironically suggest no, that, that everybody amazing. goes there it's the most fun you can have at a gig it's great well, it's nice to have something uplifting to, <laughs> to begin us with. It's obviously, we're going somewhere else today. So who are we remembering today? We're not Charlotte Church, obviously. Um, well, I, I mean, I sort of leave a litter of corpses behind me. There are so many people <laughs> dead. in um, the right place, Sally. <laughs> this is the right place for it. Uh, so both my parents are dead. Oh, well, uh, both of them. My, yes. My father died when I had just given birth to my first son. So that made me fully deranged for some time. And then my mother died last October. We had a very, very difficult relationship and hadn't actually spoken for 13 years until she became terminally ill. And then one of my best friends died three years ago, Carrie, and she died really young. She died in her early 30s. So, yeah, everyone keeps dying on me these days. (laughs) Well, I think about death constantly. It's like a massive theme in my life. This is the right place. (laughs) The year we had, like... I don't know, something ridiculous, like eight funerals. And my mum used to say every time the phone rings, who's it now? Like, who's yeah. dead now? It just became this utter... And then you weren't even... You were just, like, getting the black dress ready. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So how old were you when your dad died? So my son's about to turn 14, so I was 30. Okay, so, yeah, young. And what yeah. did he What did he die? Was it sudden? So he he did that thing that I think lots of men do, which is that he was a very heavy smoker, a very heavy drinker. He was an alcoholic, I think we can fairly say, and a chain smoker. And he's one of those men who had never, ever, ever been to the doctor. Uh, and then the minute his hand was forced, I think he he had something wrong with his foot. 
and my brother made him call the doctor and then the minute the doctor arrived he just sort of looked and went oh Jesus fucking Christ you've got 300 things wrong with you I have no idea how you're wow. alive um, and was he was taken into hospital and then that evening my brother called me and said yeah he's going to die imminently and so um, I was going home the next morning to see him and he didn't make it through the night and so I think that happens to lots of men they so avoid dealing yeah, with their yeah. suspected ill health that they just get worse and worse and worse until they're riddled with all sorts of things oh, which I think God. is what happened to my father he was quite an old dad though my yeah. dad I think he was 78 when he died and I was 30 so he was quite an old dad when yeah. he had me so you were on your way back. So you were pregnant at that point or you just had... I just had, I think, uh, my first son, Marvin, was uh, 12 weeks old. Oh, that is <laughs> Maybe 10 rough. weeks. Yeah. That is rough. So you're already all over the shop anyway. 10 weeks, yeah, it was 10 weeks. Yeah, and um, it, it, it made me completely, completely mental mm. because I think what happened... Well, there's another type of bereavement that was going on at the same time, which I don't feel many people talk about. I was already grieving. I was already suffering a massive bereavement for the fact that I wasn't at work mm -hmm. because yes. I had had a baby. Yeah. And truly, that was a bereavement. I felt as though someone had died. I was so lonely and depressed not being at work because my whole life, I'd left home when I was 14, so my entire life had been defined by going to work, my professional mm. achievements, my self-confidence was so laced in with that. Yeah. And so I wasn't working, so I already felt pretty nuts. I had a baby, and then my father died, and so it was very hard to unpick the various layers yeah, yeah. because I think I had postnatal depression, the physical bereavement of my father, and the kind of metaphorical bereavement of my career, mm. or at least so I thought. And um, I went really, really mad. It was the most mad I have ever felt mm. to the point where I genuinely thought I was going insane and became incredibly paranoid and never left the house. And it was just really weird, became quite agoraphobic, went on for months. And in the end, I went to therapy and ended up going for three years. And that was hugely, hugely helpful. But to this day, I don't really know. I can't really work out where one thing began and the mm. other ended because it just it was a are we allowed to swear it was a clusterfuck oh yeah you're allowed to swear yeah yeah <laughs> it was it was a clusterfuck and of these incredibly kind of monumental life-changing yeah, events yeah. and they all happened while my hormones were raging and I'd just given birth and yeah. had a, yeah no it was it was bloody awful uh so that took me a while to get over yeah and it's I think we have we talked about the show a lot of like <laughs> having children it, it, it is a huge life-changing experience and obviously if you haven't had children that doesn't mean your life is less enriched it's just having children is mental and very life-changing and losing a parent is very life-changing extremely life-changing obviously and then to have both those things sort of crash into each other well and also they're sort of the same thing in that yeah, you lose a parent are. and become a parent yeah. in quick succession or, or in my case the other way around and so your entire kind of belief system or understanding of what it means to a parent becomes incredibly confused and you're sort of full of regret about how you've been a how you've been parented or how you've been a child to somebody else and then you have to try and pay it forward in a more healthy way and all that stuff it's incredibly incredibly confusing so and the other thing that happened with my father that I found incredibly difficult and partly why I ended up in therapy was everybody trying to be nice said, make sure you grieve. And it did my head in because all I used to think is, what does that mean? Yeah. You don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. What is grief? Like, I don't know. I tried to make, I tried to work it out for something um, that I'd written and with the benefit of hindsight I was able to do better than at the time but at the time you just feel shit and I yeah. and I, it didn't feel like a process to me it just felt mm. like a condition yeah yeah and that process that people talk about just seems to be plucked out of thin air it doesn't really seem to mean anything no I don't I don't think it does mean anything and the, the thing I sort of always try and say to people is like just be nice to yourself like because whatever you're feeling and it might not be 
you know, I think what people expect is like, oh, grieving equals I'm crying all the time. I'm sad. Yeah. And it, it might not be that. And so then people get into this guilt cycle of like, oh, well, I'm just walking around feeling very numb. Is that wrong? Or I feel fine. Is that wrong? And you're like, no, none of these things are wrong. You just have to, whatever you're feeling, make sure that you're, you're okay and you're feeling it. I think that's good advice. I think that is the most you can do. And it's also what I try to do to other people when I know other people are grieving in however that looks for them. I, I just try to assume that they're not okay. I think that's... Mm, that's a nice I think, way of putting it. I think we take our cues from the person who is bereaved. And I think we look for quite obvious cues. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't particularly feel supported when my father died. I didn't really particularly feel that anybody was really there for me. And I'm sure that they would have wanted to have been. But because I wasn't sobbing all the time I think people just assumed I was fine in fact latterly there was there was an incident um, a couple of weeks after my father died and um, we had the naming party for the baby and my friends came and they got extremely extremely jolly and out of hand even though I'd asked them not to anyway I ended up losing my temper and and saying you know how could you how could you do this and I remember one of my friends saying, we thought you were fine. And I remember saying, but... And she's a really good friend. She's still a really good friend Mm. of mine. We didn't fall out long term, but she said, we thought you were fine. And I said, but my dad died two weeks ago, so (laughs) I reckon take a guess. Like, I think probably take a punt on me not being fine. But because I hadn't cried at them and because I hadn't sobbed at them and said, oh, my God, I'm, you know, and thrown myself on coffins and things, I think they thought, well, Sally's very strong, she's fine, but actually no one's fine. No, I think that's such an important thing to remember that the picture of grief that yeah. whatever that comes from your hollywood ideal or what you've seen other people do of sobbing and throwing yourself in a coffin coffin if someone isn't doing that it doesn't mean they're okay and also plus even if your father had been alive and well don't get drunk at a christening because you just had a baby <laughs> and it's really stressful but like on top of that like if someone's lost a parent two weeks of course yeah of course they're not fine but i think so many people want people to be fine so badly it's like believing in magic. It's like you want it so badly. So if someone presents even a hint of it to you, you go... You'll take it. I'll take it. 100%. She, Sally's standing up. She's not crying. Great. She's fine. That means I can have a drink and I'm not going to die. You know what? I think we're all not going to die. Like, it's it's so much about everyone's fear I think fear it's absolutely it. that. If you give people the opportunity not to do anything, they will not do <laughs> anything. And I think, I think for the most part, the thing I've learned with other people is just assume that they're not okay Mm. and don't ask them if they need anything and don't ask them if they need any help because they definitely that then becomes their responsibility and they definitely won't act on it because there's too much going on you have to impose yourself in quite a low-key way I think yeah yeah I think you have to leave food on the doorstep and I think you have to send a text every day and not expect a reply and I think you just you just need to let somebody know that you see them and that you hear them and that you are ready, you are poised. For whenever they are. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's really all that's required. And the other thing that people need to do, and this never fails to amaze me, every time somebody has died on me, I've, I've always been completely perplexed by this, but why don't people simply say... Oh my god, that is fucking shit. <laughs> just say Yeah, just say it. That yeah. is fucking bullshit. Yeah. I am really sorry that that's happened to you. That sucks more than anything mm-hmm. I can think of. That absolutely blows. That is all you have to say. You don't yeah. have to put a spin on it. You don't have to Yeah. Oh, well, look she for... would have and they would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't spin it. Don't ki- try and come up with kind of platitudes for it just say fucking hell that's horrible Mm. that is really horrible and you must feel shit because people just want to be heard I think yeah and there's something so like refreshing when someone says that to you I know um I love it Carrie Quinlan said that in her episode that I think she went to the pub after her dad had died and um I think this is right correct me if I'm wrong Carrie that um Marcus Brigstock just put his hand on her and was like that's fucking shit. She laughed. Was like, yeah, yes, yeah. Thank you, because yeah. everyone else, the spin makes you feel that your internal feelings are wrong. Because you think this is so shit. This is so shit. Everyone's like, well, 
you know, and I've talked about it before, like, because my dad was young and very healthy and was training for an Ironman and running marathons, wow. everyone was like, God, he would have hated to be sick so long. It's good it was quick. And I remember thinking, it's not it, shit. Is it? No, like, I think it's quite shit that it, yeah. but a minute ago he was alive and yeah. I said, I think, I think that's awful that somebody yeah. so healthy is now gone. It's but... like a horrible, violent yeah, shock, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, and you're in shock, but. And I understand it's people, like we said, it's as ever looking for a narrative that soothes them. But I think you're so, the freedom of the truth of like, it's awful. That's awful. And for someone to let you know that they are listening, that that they are looking at you and hearing you and not trying to self-soothe. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. That's the act of kindness isn't mm, it that's yeah. sort of not not trying to get yourself off the hook it, it's just going yes I'm here and seeing your visceral agony yeah yeah and that's such a powerful thing yeah and I think you're you're, you're so right like the self-soothing even though you can understand it as a fellow human for someone to go I'm not going to make myself feel better I'm just going to look you in the eye and be like Ooh, this is awful yeah and then you can because I think what people worry is like oh don't don't let her know it's awful. She, perhaps she hasn't realised. Like, perhaps if we paint a nice picture, she'll feel better. And you don't, you don't, you know, you know your life is shit. You know, you're looking at it and you're like, this is really shit. So, and a friend does that and is acknowledging how shit it is. It, it hurts, but in a health, in a good way. Tell you what I found incredibly um, powerful and comforting, uh, not when my father died, but uh, later on when my friend died, was friends who were furious yeah like who really shared in my anger and that made me feel so much better because I was really angry when Carrie died because she was too young and it just was so unjust and I was so cross about it and so friends who were like what the fuck like really angry I felt so supported by them and Mm. given sort of permission to feel my irrational rage it's again it's just another way of letting people know I've got you, I accept however your feeling is the yeah. right way to feel and I share in it because I love you. I think that's such a powerful thing to say to someone. And what did Carrie die of? Uh, she died of osteosarcoma, which is quite rare. So it's basically cancer of the bone. I think this is what... Um, sorry to switch episodes. Julia Rayside's Julia brother. Julia Rayside's brother, yes. though, because she mentions that um, Carrie when on her episode. Yeah, yeah. so uh, Colin Rayside, Julia's yeah. brother, and Carrie died in the same year of the same thing. Oh. Julia's a very good friend of mine. Um, and so that's why when we got married, instead of us, um, Julia and I didn't get married. I married a man <laughs> called Dan, although I would marry Julia. But, um, She'd be a great wife. Yeah, I think she's probably a very good shag. Um, Dan and I, when we got married, we raised, instead of having a wedding list, we raised money for Sarcoma UK in Colin and Carey's name because uh, Julia is a close friend. But it's bizarre, actually, that I know too. Who, yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, one of Julia's best friends, Jerome, also died of osteosarcoma. Yes, she said, yeah, yeah, So yeah. it's bizarre that there are three people in my um, life, but it has a very high mortality rate and it affects mainly people under 45. And how old did you say Carrie was? So she was 31. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it was just total shit. And so uh, she got got cancer three, four years before that. And because of the nature of osteosarcoma, she had to go to hospital. She basically lived in hospital for about a year having chemo and it went away. And I remember her saying to me um, when she was in remission that she thought every day about the fact that it, she thought it would come back. And mm. I remember thinking, no, it won't. No, it won't. Yeah. And I think that's why I was so furious because I'm quite, I'm not a catastrophist at all. And I have friends who are catastrophists and I find it quite annoying when they're <laughs> catastrophizing things. I'm like, oh, well, you know, you'll deal with it when it comes. Yeah. And because I'm not a catastrophist and she always thought it would come back and I was so sure it wouldn't or, you know, not deluded, but positive generally yeah. about it. That on my 40th birthday, she came, to my, she came to my 40th birthday party and she said that she'd been having some pains and she felt like it was coming back. And then sure enough, very shortly afterwards, she went to the hospital and it had come back. And then, and then in the summer, we got the terminal diagnosis. And yeah, I just, I felt so furious. I'm still quite angry about it. I think that's fair enough. It's, it's just really unfair. And I remember when I went to... Um, so, so what happened was, towards the end of her life, so she lived in Glasgow, 
Uh, she was the keyboardist in the band Camera Obscura. Yeah, and they're I was going to say, a, br- a brilliant, wonderful band as yeah, well. Yeah, they're fantastic. It's so their music is, yeah, if you don't know them, obviously go and find it. It's and, still there. And they're deeply, deeply good people as well. Carrie's best friend in the entire world is uh, Tracy Ann, the lead singer. Like, amazing friends, basically sisters. And um, because Carrie was up there for the last probably six, seven, eight weeks of her life, I spent every week probably three or four days of every week in Glasgow. My husband, bless him, just held the fort for half the week while I went there to be with her. And um, I remember one day I was in a Glasgow hotel and I was on my way to the hospital or something to see her. And my paper, I was just leaving my hotel room and my newspaper had been pushed through Mm. the door. And my next door neighbour in the hotel, their newspaper was still on the doorstep thing. And um, they had the Daily Mail and um, no judgment, but massive judgment. And um, Katie Hopkins was on the cover spaffing on about some Katie Hopkins bullshit. And I lost my temper Mm. because I thought, why do you get to be alive? Why do you get to be alive Mm. when my friend is definitely going to die really, really soon? And actually, I think that's quite healthy. After, for the year around her death, I used to list people who shouldn't be alive in my head. <laughs> like Aya Stark. <laughs> yeah, but actually it's quite soothing. It's a bit like the really dark version of your lottery fantasy. You know, when you, you know, when you think, oh, where would we live? Would we get a crash pad here? What would we do? You know, where would we go on holidays? It's like the very dark, macabre version of that where you're like, okay, so who, if I had to kill 10 people to make Carrie live, who would I kill? And actually you sort of have to give yourself space to yeah, have those yeah, thoughts yeah. because... Yeah. I am furious about it, and she was more deserving of life, I think, than somebody who spends their life being horrible to people. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I agree with I you. I think it's, that's okay to think it's, that. Um, I find something really... Something that I can put my feet down, grounding, about the way that life exists like that. Because that's obviously how I feel. You know, my dad died when I was 15, and I look at other dads who are shit, or my friends who don't appreciate their dads, or just shit parents <laughs> and you think well, how comes that happened and I just go that's life like that's life yeah and something about that makes me go there is just no justice which means there is none which means you don't have to not and that doesn't mean you don't have, don't have a moral code you should have a moral code because your actions don't have consequences but it's sort of a freeman a freeingness of like well people just die at random and so you can't you can't really they really do and I think I think that's such a good point because my whole life I have a particular hatred and I have since I was a child I have a particular hatred of people who say everything happens for a reason (laughs) because it doesn't Mm, things don't happen for a reason they just fucking happen yeah and I really 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 believe in luck I believe in good luck bad luck and if you're really lucky, neither, just an unexceptional existence, <laughs> but it is chance. You can't yeah. control it. All you can do in life is wait for some good luck and exploit it and yes. work hard at it and hammer it into the ground. I really think that's all you can do. And luck is massively, massively important. And so when people say, well, everything happens for a reason, well, no, I, I run a charity and there are people we look after in that charity who are born into rotten, rotten luck. Mm. And their chances of succeeding within the framework of their family, uh, cultural care system, yeah, yeah. education system, geography, all of that stuff is so, so, so slim. They're just really, really, really short on luck. And if they got a bit of luck, then one likes to think that they could then exploit it. But that's a whole other tier of privilege mm. that lots of us, well, lots of people don't have. And that thing you're talking about with your dad and just thinking there is no justice, I, I also sort of find that freeing because people need to stop thinking that, you know, good things happen to good people yeah. and bad things happen. To, they don't. They yeah. don't. I good things happen to bad people all, all the time. Yeah, they really do. I think, like, that's the thing. Is I sort of separate it from morality because I think, like, if you want a nice life, like, it's it's nice to be nice to people. Like, that will be helpful. And that will, you know, if you're nice to someone, they might help you later. That's not why you should be nice to someone. But, like, that, that feeling of, like, oh, karma and everything happens for a reason, I think there's a definite space for it. But that's... 
but that's more like the f- nice things you know like if you're nice to your friend and you you lend her something she might lend you something you need like exactly but like it's a practical transactional yeah. thing and it's like nice to feel nice and live in a community of people who are being polite to you on the bus but well, when it comes to like I, yeah when i die i want people to think fondly of me yeah, sure. i want i want yeah. people to think i was nice yeah. i want people to think i was a good person i want my kids to think i was a nice mum yeah. i want their lives to have been enhanced by my parenting yeah. and mothering not held back by it those are the things that but it, but it really matters. That's but, enough. Yeah, I think. but it won't protect you from death no. or bad luck. No. That's what I think is. I think people then translate that into I can protect myself from the fundamentals of life because I'm a good person, you know, or the bad the bad people will die. And you just go. There's so many examples of the bad people not dying. Well, and the problem with that is then there's there's a layer of implication that people dying in the Sudan or yeah, or people who exactly. died in the Holocaust just weren't thinking positively yeah. enough or just weren't spreading the love. <laughs> it's like no, just like really horrible things yeah. are happening and, that, and I think what I like about it is if you, if you accept really horrible things happen you can also accept really amazing things happen exactly 100%. at the same time and it's not it sounds sort of gloomy but I think it isn't gloomy it's sort of you sort of realise like yeah that's life these brilliant people like Harry who were just obviously lovely and talented and, and very loved die and that's just like you said it's just shit it's, it's really shit. really unfair and life is really really unfair I do, I agree with you. I don't think that's a massively negative realisation. Mm. I think it's realistic and it and it allows you to, I think it allows you to do lots of things. It allows you to celebrate small victories, which yeah. I think is incredibly important. I think we delay celebrations mm. and we just keep moving the goalposts. But actually then you can die before you've reached your goal. Actually, there are so many little wins along the way that matter. Yes, it's sort definitely. of, you know... In my case or in your case, it's, you know, a glass of wine because you've finished writing a thing or another glass of wine when (laughs) you've um, had a positive meeting about the thing or a nice walk out when that thing is produced or well received. And you just have to break it down because at which point do you stop modifying your goals to be bigger and less attainable? I think I think you delay celebration. If you delay celebration, there is every chance you'll be dead. Yeah, <laughs> I really agree. I really agree. Life's too short. Yeah, that yeah. sort of old adage I think has weight. And how did you feel when when Carrie died? Did you feel because we've talked about this bit on the show of like grieving as a friend is a really not tricky, but it, it's an unusual space because you're not family. And then so sometimes what we've talked about on the show is people sort of think to quote you earlier, you're fine because. It wasn't your sister. You know, they kind of limit your grief or soften it slightly. How was it after Carrie died? Do you know, weirdly, I think the people I know found it easier to deal with because I am the person who is not close to her family. Right. And I am known in my circle of friends to be the person from the very complicated, unrelatable family I mean there are exceptions I do have some close friends who are just from absolute bin fire families but um but mostly I am seen as the person from the family that nobody really understands and they don't really know what grief would look like within that framework oh I see and so um whereas your relationship with Carrie is whereas my relationship with my friends Mm. is incredibly strong so I'm a very loyal and devoted friend and my friend really my friends really are my family right, they're okay. my chosen family and so i think my friends were much better able to imagine that i was in a real state over carrie than they were over my parents yeah that's really interesting they they understood it more i think nobody really knew what to say about either of my parents yeah and perhaps it, well like you said cuz some families are complicated whereas friendships can be i've chosen this person Yes. So we really like each other, and yeah. that's kind of it. Yeah. They like me, I like them. Yeah. Whereas family is like, oh, well, yeah, as we know from the show, it's, it's, it's not always a simple story. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. So your mum only died last year. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to work. Oh right, so you haven't even had a year then, have you? Like yeah. No, so she died in October. October. And what did she die of? Uh, she died of cancer. So she died of. Um, so she had breast cancer several years ago during our period of estrangement, actually, and we didn't actually have anything to do with one another during the first bout of cancer. Uh, she had radiotherapy. It went away and a lumpectomy and stuff, and it went away. And then uh, I was on holiday last July, I think 13 years into our estrangement, and my brother phoned me and um, said that her cancer was back and it it had um, spread to um, her head, neck, lungs, everywhere, and she was definitely going to die. And so that was quite a weird thing. I then had to decide uh, what I was going to do Mm. about it, if anything. And I did consider doing nothing about it, Mm. I must say. And then she and I exchanged some emails. We had our first contact in many, many years. Did you start? Did you send the first email? No, no. I was going to, but I was trying to pluck up the courage when she did. Yeah. So she contacted me first. We exchanged a few emails. I told her about my children. She'd never met one of my sons. Wow. Uh, and did you... She'd never met my youngest son, who's 12. Did oh. the estrangement... So your dad... Did it happen after your dad died home? My mass is so bad. Uh, yes, but the, the compli- it did happen in the immediate aftermath of my father dying. But the complicated thing about my mother and me is that although we'd had 13 years of non-stop estrangement, there had been clusters of right. two years here, yeah. three years there. It had been an on-off estrangement. Yeah, it didn't I come out of the blue. No, no, there wasn't like some big feud mm. or row. It's not really about that. It's not about being in a strop or a punishment or anything mm. at all. I now run a, a support group online for people who who um, embark on necessary family estrangement. It's not really, it's not sudden. It's mm. a real kind yeah, of slow-burning yeah. decision. And so there had been two years here, three there, five yeah. there, whatever. Uh, 13 was the longest. So we exchanged quite a few emails. I was quite honest about some things. I said, so obviously she contacted me and said uh, that she, um, that her cancer was back and it was terminal and she was definitely 100% going to die. And in fairness, she said, I would really like to see you, but I completely respect if you don't want to see me. Mm. And... It was quite an honest conversation. It's difficult to describe because I think, you know, it's tempting for me within the sort of framework of a conversation or a podcast to say there was this moment of clarity. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't really. There wasn't a big reconciliation, but there was definitely more honesty than there ever had been. And there was some quite blunt mm. conversation. I said, I said, um, I always thought, I, I I just always thought you didn't like me. And she said, I can see why you thought that, which is quite a big thing. Mm. Um, and I said, I always felt let down by you. I felt that you were never there for me. And she said, I can see why you thought that. You know, and it was just, and it was quite a bizarre, because I had tried to say these things in the past and they had made her furious. But she she acknowledged them and she took them on board. And so that was... It wasn't, it wasn't a big dramatic moment, but it yeah. was a significant moment. Yeah, and it was yeah. significant enough for me to think, actually, I will see her. And I also thought I would see her um, 
for my brothers because I didn't want them to feel that I'd just lumped them with this dying mother and I'd just absolved myself yeah. of responsibility. So it was as much for them, really. And ha- so how many brothers do you have? Then? I have four brothers. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And are they, they obviously, they have extremely different relationships, all siblings yeah. do. But yeah, I can understand. They, they were all in touch with her. Right, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I didn't want to abandon them with this huge thing. Yeah, and just the the process of someone dying is a is a huge thing. And, and I guess she was at home until the end, and, and you've been through so that with your dad. Stuff. So yeah, you are aware of yeah what a death does. Yeah, and it yeah, and it was. I think it lasted. The whole thing lasted all the way through the summer. So it was July. I got the call, and then she died in October, and she was home the whole time, mm. dying basically. And so I thought I should. Um, I didn't want them, my siblings, to think I was a bad person. But, it's, you know, it's very difficult. I think it would have... People ask me about this all the time on my estrangement group, which is called Necessary Family Estrangement on Facebook. People ask me all the time because they know I've been through it. They say, oh, my dad's terminally ill or my mother's terminally ill. Should I see her? And I actually think either is fine. Mm, I, I yeah. don't think that it's a bad thing to not see them. I think you just have to work out how much work you've already done on yourself. Mm. Whether you'll be fine for there to be no big moment, yeah. how you're likely to react to the moment either way. And I think, to be honest, being estranged out of choice from a close family member is a death already. Yeah. A- and I think, I think that I had done most of my grieving many years ago. And so... Although I definitely, definitely didn't want her to die and I'm very sad that she died and I'm very sad for my brothers and, and it, you know, it was, it was a horrible and upsetting thing for them and for her and frightening and, and all of that stuff and I really, really, really wish I could have made it not happen. I definitely didn't want it to happen. However, I think I had done a substantial amount of grieving when she was still alive and well. Mm. And also I had grieved the fact that I hadn't really been parented. Mm. And so it wasn't so much that I'd grieved her as a mother. I had already dealt with the fact that I hadn't been parented. And actually when she did die, what was odd about it, and I think the way I grieved her was quite selfish really, but again, I don't feel so guilty about it, but... I think for me there was quite a lot involved in the window of opportunity in which I could have been parented as a person had now closed permanently. Mm. Both my parents were dead. Yeah. I would never know the thing that other people talk about. I just I just don't have any experience of the thing that people talk about. And so uh, I think it was a very slow grief. I suppose the only time I've ever kind of felt any parallels with a different situation is sometimes I speak to somebody whose parent had dementia or Alzheimer's where they have this very long gradual drawn out process of grief and Mm. then someone dies it's a bit like that I think I had had lots of therapy and lots of crying and lots of rowing with her and all of that stuff and so I think by the time she died I had done a large part of the grief yeah. over my mother. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that I, it's amazing that you won that group. I think it's really important. And we, we've talked about this on the show before of like, I think sometimes think people think like, and I have this uh, like, oh, you, she does a podcast about her dad. And because it was like, she must really miss him. It's like, it was such a deeply complicated relationship. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And I think sometimes it, the narrative's quite easy of like, yeah. Daddy's girl, I miss him so it's much. It's just a huge tragedy. You were no. a little girl. And daddy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And no, 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 no. And like, my mum always says he, he, it would be quite, I think he'd find it quite amusing that you're actually still talking about him because <clears throat> when he was alive, I would have never allowed him to believe he had any effect on me whatsoever Hmm. and we yeah we had a difficult relationship and um yeah complicated and difficult I mean it wasn't like you know Mike Lee wouldn't be calling me to like dramatize it but it wasn't it definitely wasn't sweet and I definitely wasn't daddy's girl even though he would buy badges and ask me to wear them and I would be like this is gross (laughs) like no I'm not your daddy's girl and so I think it's so important for people to understand like you can have a complicated relationship and still feel things or not feel things. Like, it, I would say from all the episodes we've done, it's like I can count on one hand the people who were like, I just love them and they loved me and then they died. Like, Well, it's funny because one of my closest girlfriends, her father died uh, last year. 
she's like roughly my age and her beloved, beloved, mm. adored father died just before Christmas. And she, just after my mother died, in fact, and she and I have talked about this lots where she has said, I am so devastated and I'm so broken and I'm so completely not all right. However, I'm grateful because it's so simple. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she is so heartbroken, but there's such a simplicity to it. Yes, That yes. is quite freeing mm-hmm. and because she just gets to be really gutted yeah. you know she just gets to be incredibly sorrowful yeah. and sad and weepy and she finds that lack of complexity a relief a blessed mm. relief and I really get that like yeah. her entire family they're just bloody gutted he yeah. was a great dad he's a great person and now he's gone they didn't want him to go and they just really really miss him yeah and there is something to be said for that simplicity that you can just be anguished and sad. Yeah, and you I know think, what that is. Yeah, and I've spoken to like, you know, it's, I would say like this handful of episodes where the story's so simple when I interview mm-hmm. them because it's just like, oh, they were really great, and I really loved them, and mm-hmm. they really loved me, and they died, and I can see. I'm like, wow, that that's yeah, it. What isn't does it? that feel like? Yeah, yeah, like what is that? That's interesting because it's just. It's really beautiful. And I suppose, you know, as ever, things are a spectrum. And you can see, like, that is, like, at the top of the spectrum in a way of, like, that's sort of the ideal of a parent-child situation where yeah. you just love them and it's they know that and they feel safe and protected. And that's, you know, obviously, there's, as you said, cultural and educational and um, social privileges that allow those mm-hmm. things to happen that mm-hmm. some people just don't have access to. But it is interesting. And I think most people aren't up there because everything's a spectrum. And it's... I have a friend who is estranged uh, from her mother and um, and it is a really, it's really complicated and I know that she, and I know that she often feels very frustrated that people don't understand and one of the things that people throw at her quite a lot, which I have done, it just What about when she dies? What about when she dies? Yeah. And I always say to her, I'm just checking that you're sure, I'm not saying your decision is right or wrong, I just want yeah. to know that you've definitely thought yeah. and she's like, you know, yes, of course I have, but she said, you know, it's a weird thing that people throw at you of like, oh well that's when it, it suddenly it will change or it suddenly matters and, you know, she's like, as if I took it lightly as if like, well I'll just wait till she's I mean, dying your friend is absolutely right everything you've just quoted her as saying is absolutely yeah. right but I would also add to that in that of course I've had that a million times mm. that is the thing that people say yeah. they say oh, well what about when she dies but it's sort of the wrong question because obviously the answer is I'll be gutted yeah yeah I'll yeah. be absolutely gutted mm. it's not a choice it's not saying I'll just be breezy without them yeah, in my life I'm actually fine I'm actually great without them in my life and mm. I'll be great when they're dead that's not it. Yeah. The choice you're making is not to surrender your life when they're yeah. alive in order to feel that level of peace when they're dead. Mm. You have to weigh it up and think, well, I'm alive now. They're alive now. What does that take away from my life to have them involved in it? And can you, is that a mitigating factor in them what happens later on when they die? You know you're going to be gutted. There's no way of avoiding that. Yeah. But what you can avoid is unhappiness now. Yeah. That's yeah. the only bit you get to control. You're going to be devastated no matter what when they're gone, mm. but you can't control that. The bit you can control is how you feel in your living life and their living life. And if they take away more from your life than they add to it, then you might need to consider removing them from that, your life. <laughs> yeah, and I think what's hard, and I've said this to her as well, like I think this is true for all situations. People always relate it from themselves. So often when they're saying, yeah. oh, what about that dark? When they die, they're thinking, oh, I'd be so sad if my mum died and I hadn't spoken to her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's you and your mum, mm-hmm. which is a different relationship. And I think it's really important. You always have to realise people see through their own glasses, you know? So it's like they can only relate to their relationship with their mother or their father. And, you know, I've... Yeah, like, and I feel like that when talking about my dad, like, sometimes people are like, oh, you, you must have been crushed when he died. And I'm like, oh, it isn't that simple because our no. relationship was 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 difficult. But I can see what they're saying is, I really love my daddy so much. And if I'd been 15... I think that thing, though, of people seeing it through their glasses of an incredibly loving and supportive parents, parent, the only way you can really turn that around is to say to them, OK, well, you have an incredibly loving and supportive mother and you can't imagine how awful it would be for her to die and think you don't like mm. her. Imagine 
your incredibly loving and supportive mother how she would feel if you were making a decision that made every day of your life an unhappy day. Mm. She loved you. She loves you so much. She would hate you to be miserable. So how do you think she would feel about you not making a decision that would make you happier? And that's the only way they can see it. If they can only see it through a loving parent, ask them how their loving parent would feel if they were miserable every day. And that is how lots of people feel feel in that situation yeah yeah and I I think as well it's just some families are like you said deeply complicated and I've I've had to learn that with her and I've had to definitely change the way I think about things because I was very much at the beginning of like but you know I'd be so sad and I you know I know what it's I know what it's like when someone dies you got to grab all these moments and I and that's coming from my place of regret of like I didn't have that chance with my dad because I was too young and we didn't get to fix what probably was this is the difference my dad's relationship with me probably was fixable with time. Yeah. And that's my pain. Yeah. Like, that's totally my pain of, like, I think it would have more time. It never would have been you perfect. You feel a sense of unfinished business. Yeah, it never would have been perfect because we our personalities. But we definitely, I think we would have got much better. And that's not true for some people. It doesn't matter how much time have. It's not going to get fixed or be in a better place. And I think that's... Yeah, hard for sometimes, like you said, people have been lovingly parented to get their heads around because they always see this like, but it'll be okay and they love you. You pass a deadline, I think, where things can be changed and that's very sad. But I know when my mother was dying and I visited her a few times, like a handful of occasions, I drove home to Wales and was with her. It's funny, you know, there wasn't a big moment where suddenly everything was okay. We couldn't really talk to one another very well. We both were incredibly awkward in one another's company. I couldn't uh, be physical. We had never, I don't recall a single time in my life where my mother gave me a kiss or hugged me. And so I can't just suddenly start doing it at 44. And she couldn't either, and that's okay. You know, I think I did it, and I think it was the right, it was the right decision. However, I think your expectation, you have to manage your own expectations. Yes, that's true. I think people expect in death to be these really huge moments. And sometimes there are, you know, I had one with Carrie, but but actually, on the whole, you don't because people are still themselves even <laughs> when they're dying. Yeah, it doesn't matter what happens, you're still you. Yeah. That's what me and my friend Sarah Pascoe always say. Yeah. It doesn't matter what happens, you're still you. So you're yeah. still going to react like you do, even if it's a good or a bad thing. Also, we're British and therefore yeah. quite shit. <laughs> yeah, there is also that. So were you with her when she died? No, no I wasn't. Um, I found out from somebody I used to go to school with, oh, wow. um, which was actually quite gutting. I felt quite gutted about that. But yeah, um, I uh, was going to go home in a couple of days and um, and then my brother said, oh, I, I, think we're, I think it's soon. But there had been a few false alarms of that mm. nature. And then the next morning, uh, somebody I'd gone to school with had been told before me and, and, she, and she told me, which I think she was absolutely mortified by. Uh, so, no, I wasn't there. I was at home in Brighton uh, with my kids. And then did you go back for the funeral? Yes, I did go back for the funeral. And that was quite odd because uh, when friends of mine um, have lost members of their family, I always, always say, I'll come to the funeral. Mm. And I think it's quite an important part of friendship to volunteer meaningfully to yeah, go to yeah. the funeral because when my father died a number of my friends came and I felt very supported oh, by yeah. that it it's really massive, mattered to me yeah. that they were there it really meant a lot to me but it's funny because of my estrangement with my mother I didn't feel I had the right to have friends there yeah. so my oldest friend from school Rachel who has been my best mate since I was 11 she came because she knows the rest of the family yeah But several friends offered to come to the funeral and I just felt I couldn't, I didn't really have the right to have them there because I'm sort of, I haven't paid my dues, do you know what I mean? So, Do you regret that now or do you think it was just right? No, I think it was sensitively the right thing to do. So my children came and my husband came and my best friend from school came and that was fine. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it you, I just trying to, what was it, you just felt like you couldn't turn up with your gang? Yeah. Having not shown up. It felt, it, fair, I see what you're saying. it felt yeah. insensitive and yeah. it felt a bit showy. Yeah. I just didn't really feel like I had the right to turn up with some entourage <laughs> yeah. because I hadn't put in the hours in yeah. the previous years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It just felt a bit distasteful, so I didn't do it. Um, so lots of friends offered and I said, no, I'd really rather you didn't come, which I felt bad about because it really did matter to me when my father had died yeah. and they were there. But I just kind of had to put my foot down, really. Yeah, I really, I really understand that. I think what we're getting into is 
when a relationship is complicated, there are other complicated decisions. Like, yeah, it's it's never like, of course, I need your support. They lovely and all no. This. I like, just thought I don't own this funeral. I don't yeah, own this grief. Yeah. I don't own this this sort of atmosphere and mm. this group feeling. I did. I'm actually, I feel quite separate from it and I think it would be distasteful of me to make it about me. And yeah. so I went quite discreetly. That's very interesting, isn't it? Because in a way that is, like you said, that's the truth of like you have removed yourself from yeah. that group and that situation yeah. and the dynamics of that. So yeah, it's, I mean, some things are just very complicated. <laughs> you know, yeah. they just are. And, and, and trying to simplify them is never going to, it's never going to work because they're just deeply complicated. How has it been since she died like have you found I mean obviously you're like how do you feel about even using the term the grief for her because I guess it maybe does that feel like it doesn't quite again I don't feel massively entitled to it yeah and and I don't really know what it is I don't really know what it looks like I think to be completely honest most of how I feel is to do with me not her mm. it's to do with you know my own mortality uh, the similarities between us the differences between us my parenting yeah um I I think her death has put me under my own microscope more than a kind of straightforward I'm so sad that someone's dead. Mm. I think it's been a bit more self-centred, to be honest. It, and yeah, I'm not proud of that, but that is what it is. It's just how I feel. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think that's like what death does. And I think yeah. that's why when you're at the epicentre of the death, it, it makes you look at yourself a lot. But there's also what everyone's doing. You know, when like we talked about that self-soothing, everybody is sort of going, wow, how do I feel about these? Because that's what it reminds us. Like, we're going to die and who are we as people? And I think especially with your mum and you being a mum and, like, the complications of that, of course it's... I don't think it's self-centred. I think that's reasonable to have to examine yourself based I, on that relationship. I think that the most powerful, the most powerful moment for me in the entire sort of illness, death, mourning period, the, the number one biggest thing that happened to me was when I agreed to see her, she came to me because she was still mobile at that point. This was in uh, July, August. She came to see me and my children, I had spoken to them in advance and I said, look, um, do you want to meet her? There is no wrong answer here. Mm. Um, whatever you decide is a-okay with me. However, I'm going to see her. Um, and if you do decide to see her, whatever you know about our relationship, you have to remember that she's an old lady who's dying and I expect you to act accordingly. And they said, of course, of course, absolutely. Mm. And they decided they wanted to see her. And she came and uh, she was coming at sort of 11 o'clock. And... Uh, at about half past eight, nine o'clock, I said to my husband, Dan, oh, can you go and wake the boys up because they need to have showers and get sorted out and stuff because it's really, really hard to get my kids out of bed because mm. they're teenagers. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was the summer holidays. They were on a bad rhythm and everything. So I said, oh, can you go and get them out of bed? And he said yes. And he went into their rooms and they were both standing there and they were wearing their wedding outfits that they've worn to my <laughs> wedding Aww. and Dan said oh you're so dressed up they had like little blazers on and yeah. skinny jeans and their nice converse on and stuff and Dan said oh my god you're all dressed up and um my eldest son said oh we just thought mum would like it we just thought it'd be nice for mum and it was so I don't know I just thought it was such a lovely thing mm. And and she came and it was really handy that they were there because, of course, we could do lots of our talking through them and, mm. and they asked her lots of questions and they helped her up the stairs and stuff and they behaved so beautifully, like I was so proud of them. And um, uh, so proud. And I think that was the biggest moment for me of her going and me thinking... I had seen them all day through new through her eyes, through completely new eyes in that she was meeting them for the first time. And I thought, whatever it is, whatever the stuff is, whatever the reason for our estrangement, whatever the reasons that I hated my childhood, whatever the reasons I think you've let me down as a parent, all of the stuff, all of the stuff I've talked about in therapy and like abuse and neglect and all of the stuff, whatever it is, it's gone, it's mm. over. Like the next, the next bit, my kids, don't have that. 
and it's like I don't know it's such a big deal to me like if they end up going to therapy they it will be wear and tear like if they end up on a bits. therapist's sofa yeah. I know and moaning about me and probably with absolute justification it will be wear and tear and they won't be talking about the stuff that I had to talk about and a line has been drawn in the mm. sand and a cycle has ceased. And I think her death, that was the biggest thing for me, that I, I saw them that day and thought, the, the cycle has ceased. And that's amazing. And I think that that, I think that's the single most satisfying moment of my life. I completely, yeah, I just, um, I completely understand because I just think, that's all you can do as a yeah. parent is go yeah. like and that it's like the weird gift of life of like however shit it is you can somehow hopefully change the things that yeah affected you yeah. and then not pass it on that's all you can do is not pass yeah. on extra shit that, that's I mean that's literally the whole point I think of parenting mm. that you like, you know, I make mistakes all the time. Like, when they were little, I would shout at them and get frustrated and, you know, leave them in front of the telly and, like, talk to friends. Like, all the stuff you... I'm you've... right in the middle of that right yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> and all the stuff you feel shit about at the time, of course, later you realise everybody did it, but you feel so guilty about it. But I have loved this age of having kids because they're really nice. They are mm. really nice and... And, like, they like me and they're good to their friends. They're really nice friends to their friends. And so you see all of parenting up until they're about 10 is spent thinking you're doing it wrong. And then after 10, there are so, so many opportunities of seeing where you went right. It's really <laughs> nice. It's a long game. That's it the is, thing. It's a it's long a game. It's a really, really long game. Mm. And you can have a laugh with them. And I think to have her there... And bear in mind as well, like, I'm not saying my mother was an evil person. She definitely wasn't. But, like, our mothers had us all really young, didn't they? Mm. And, you know, I, I don't think she was a very good mother. She she knew that I felt that. Everyone in my life knows that I felt that. Um, but she was really young. I think to have her in the house and everything we've been through and the sort of lifelong fucking legacy of it and the amount of talking and the amount of fuck-ups and all of the stuff that relates to my childhood with two parents who were really bad at it, um, to see her in the same house as my kids who just don't really have any problems mm. is really nice. They just yeah, don't really have I... any problems. And them being nice to her yeah. and knowing what we went through, they were really kind to her. Yeah. You know. And I think that's, like you said, to, it's such a... Like, if you were writing it, that's what you'd write. Because <laughs> it's like, it's the really... For her to see you as a parent and for you to be like, this is what I did... And all of that stuff. And again, I think it's nice. It doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be like, so see what I've done, man. Yeah, no, like, it, it isn't. wasn't that. It isn't, like you said, it's It was the really small... stilted and yeah, awkward. Of yeah, of course. It's, it's the small moments of politeness and and awkwardness and, and the cups of tea. And like that is what so much complicated family life is. And I think, and that's, I guess, you know, that's all in that when, you, when I speak to my friend and I'm like, are you sure you just, because that moment was obviously important. But that's not to say, obviously, some people can have like, yeah. will not get that experience yeah. at all when it's important. But I'm really glad that you had that. Yeah, and I think um, uh, it's funny. I think it was like my moment of resolution within mm. my grief before anyone had even died. Yeah. And so I, that, that, that was my kind of big light bulb healing moment that maybe people expect themselves to have at the end of a grieving period but my grieving period has been going on my whole life it's an odd thing I really really hated being a child I only ever wanted to be an adult I wished away my childhood and so it it, it just felt like a kind of closing of a circle or actually a kind of cessation of a circle in a way and um I, yeah, it, it was like a really big moment for me. And so for that reason alone, I'm really glad um, that I did agree to see her before she died because it gave me that moment's peace. And actually, I think when people are deciding whether they should see a parent who's 
going to die, who they haven't seen for a long time out of choice. I think you do have to ask yourself, how much unfinished business is there Mm. for me? How close am I to finishing off my business? Because I think if there's tons up in the air and you're still a bit shaky, I think it's often the best policy not to see them because Mm. it leaves you with more questions than can ever be answered. Whereas I think in my case, I decided to see her because I felt pretty much at the end of this sort of journey. Mm. I think if I'd been in the eye of the storm, it could have caused absolute fucking chaos. Yeah, of course, because then you can have a a terrible experience and then they die. Yeah. And then you're left with, yeah, like you said, a a horrific traumatic last memory rather than... Exactly so. And I think the most powerful position to be in in life, in any situation, is are you fine either way? Yeah, Will you cope yeah. either way? Will you cope if you get on well? Will you cope if it's a disaster? Like, will you cope? And actually, I knew I could, I, yeah. I would be okay if it went whichever way it went. I think if if it's still very raw, I think very often the best thing is to not see somebody yeah and I think also like we come back to what you said of like to trust there isn't a right and a wrong I always said there isn't a right and wrong there's only the consequences and can you handle them yeah yeah you said like so much that yeah can you take it can you take the heat and And if you can't that's fine that's totally fine it's human like it's completely normal yeah and there are various points in my life where I couldn't have taken it but actually by the time you know, things are good, like I'm happy and I've done the work and mm. and all of that stuff. And so I think by the time the opportunity arose, I thought, well, it could go either way, but I will remain the same person at the yeah, end of that. Yeah. Um, it won't kind of turn me upside down, mm. this experience, but I think it can lots of people and that's why it's a trickier decision. And I don't think one day someone will be dead and you'll be sad is an argument for anything because, of course, you'll be sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as ever, it just re- it, it it's like saying, oh, well, you know, Carad's dad died at fifteen, and that's the saddest thing that ever happened. It's like it's just not that simple. Mm-hmm. And one day we all will be dead, and someone will mm-hmm. be sad. Like mm-hmm. that's like that's if, the if thing. you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah, yeah. If you're lucky, and but even like we said, like you're still sad that your mum died. Like there's still a sad, like that's sad that someone died. You're mm-hmm. not like woohoo because that's not mostly how most of us work. I don't think anyone really works like that at all. And I think that's important to realise. This You can be sad, but that doesn't mean... Yeah, it's just not that simple. It's just not that simple. No, it isn't and that I, simple. And, uh, you know, it all feeds into ageing as well for me. That people have this really strange idea about me because one of the columns I write is a beauty column. I think people imagine that I'm, you know terrified of aging or something or that I'm terribly uh, luxist about mm. I'm really not I'm really not like that at all and um, somebody on Instagram a couple of days ago said was having a go over me about something and said <laughs> you old you you stupid old woman or something and I think they said it because they imagined that was the worst mm. thing that I could ever hear <laughs> because and yeah. it, it, it's not the worst thing, anything yeah. close to it for me, because I've seen the alternative and the yeah. alternative is horrible. The alternative is that you die young and you don't get to grow old. Yeah. And if you're really lucky, you get a chance to yeah. become an old lady. And, you know, lots of people leave too soon and they don't get that opportunity. Oh, it's very true. Well, Sally, on that note, we should all remember just to appreciate the fact that you're here right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. It was oh, you're a welcome. Joy. Thank you. Thanks. You can follow Sally on Twitter and Instagram at Sally Hughes and her new book, Our Rainbow Queen, is out now. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios and the music is provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.